This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams, and with me is Heim Goodman-Strauss. Hey, good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Heim. Heim's a math professor at the University of Arkansas, and on the phone with us... Is Jeff Yoke again from California. Los Angeles, California. Jeff, when last we were here, you gave us a puzzle, and it involved yeah. coins. So let me see if I remember this. We had, we had a number of coins, and brass, some were brass, some were gold, some were bronze, correct? But you can't really tell. You, you can't tell by looking or feeling. Right. But there is a machine that you can put two coins in at a time, and the machine will tell you either they are of different metal origins or similar. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And now you and Heim claim... Well, I'm not claiming <laughs> Okay, Jeff, it's all on you. <laughs> claiming that there is a minimum number of passes through the coins that can tell you the distribution. Did I sum that up correctly? That's all right, yes. Okay. And, now you and Heim both, Heim, you did claim this, that it didn't matter how many coins... That's right, the same number of passes, same small number of passes will always work if you do it right. Okay, so we've had some time to think about this. Uh, how does this how does this solution work? Okay, um, one of the interesting things uh, I think you mentioned we mentioned last time that uh, I had posted this on the website previously, uh, and I had an answer uh, prepared uh, to post that uh, involved three passes, and then uh, one of the other uh, common contributors to the uh, to the website, Stephen Morris, actually posted a solution that only requires two passes. Um, so I got to kind of uh, shuffle and and say, oh, yes, yes, just exactly what I had in mind. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to share his solution since it's better than the one I had in mind. Um, in each of the passes, one of the there's one thing we're going to take advantage of. We know that greater than 50%, so more, not just 50, but more than 50% of the coins are gold. Right. And that means that you can <clears throat> eliminate any number of coins uh, from your pool being considered um, as long as you make sure you remove as many non-gold coins as gold coins. Because you just want and, one at the end. At most, right. And, right. Exactly. And, you'll, and you'll, you'll retain the property that there's still a majority of gold coins. So in the first pass, we uh, pair off all the coins, uh, leaving off one at the end uh, and not measuring it if, uh, if there's an extra, if there happens to be an odd number. And then when we compare each two, if they're different, we remove them from consideration. And if they're the same, we retain them. So um, we end up with a bunch of pairs that are all of like types. And this is, uh, you can do this uh, for the reason I just uh, mentioned, and be sure to still have a majority of gold coins among those you've retained. So now we have these pairs that are all each of uh, like, like types. And then we compare uh, two of the pairs by taking one coin from each of the pairs. Uh, now, one of two things will happen. Either they'll be the same, in which case we now have four coins of the same type, two of which have been used in our second pass and two of which have not, or they'll be of different types, in which case we can remove all four coins because we know we're not removing more gold coins than non-gold coins. So uh, if you remove them and start again and go until you get four, uh, uh, that are the same. Now, once you have four that are the same, two of which have been used in the second pass, two haven't, uh, you take two more pairs that you haven't used yet in this pass and do the same thing. 
eventually you'll either run out of coins or get another pair of four. When you get the two pairs of four, you compare those. So at that uh, point, with, you have, using, so using point one of the coin, unused coins from each card. Right. Sorry, Hun? I'm sorry. So at that point, you would have all, everything would be grouped into clusters of four, which would all be the same within each right. cluster, right? With maybe a couple left over, maybe mm -hmm. a two or a one left over that didn't work out evenly. Uh, and then you start grouping those into groups of eight. If they're the same, you have a group of eight that's the same. If they're not, you can remove all eight because, again, you're removing as many non-gold coins as gold coins. Eventually, you'll end up with one group of some power of two, you know, either be two or four or eight or 16, um, that constitutes more than half of your coins, and they're all of the same type. And since during this process, you never lose the property that the majority of gold, coins are gold, uh, you know that, that that grouping is gold. That's a so any one of those coins is a gold coin. Two passes. It's incredible. Well, what I like about it, right? Well, I don't even try to say what I like about it. Well, go I like ahead. That, try to I say like what you that, like about it. Well, on a second pass, right, you use mm -hmm. half the coins. It's sort of like you build in as many passes as you need within the second pass by first, you know, using half the coins and then half of the remaining coins and half the remaining coins and half the remaining coins to build up this larger and larger. So it's really an elegant idea. And when you first hear the process begin, you think, I don't know where this is going. But then it just kind of reveals itself and makes sense. I love it. Uh, I want to ask you, um, Jeff, about a, a career that you have had. And that okay. is, um, you were, I believe, a professional poker player for a bit? Yes. Yes, I was. And how did understanding math, logic, numbers, probabilities, how did that help uh, at the card table? Well, it's funny. It, it helped a lot, obviously. There are a lot of kind of uh, basic statistical issues in playing poker, and then at a more uh, advanced level, there's some game theoretic issues uh, that uh, kind of, you know, informed my interest in poker, and uh, at first, very naively, made me think that because I expected to know a bit more about those things mm -hmm. than most of my opponents would, I thought, well, I'll just quickly I've lost know, many be one times. of the best of the game. Yeah. I'm sorry? I've lost many times on that basis myself. Well, I, I did too, spectacularly at first, um, and then realized that um, understanding people, emotional discipline, emotional self-control were much larger parts of the game. You know, when you get into the, the position of uh, needing to <clears throat> read very kind of sensitive situations about people and their state of mind and such and mm. make big decisions on those bases and not have your decisions based on um, you know, greed or fear or whatever else may be going on. Uh, there's a lot that comes into play, and it, it was uh, it was for me the bigger part. I mean, some people do struggle with the math that's involved in the game, but uh, for me, it was that it, it was a it was a real eye opener that you know my self discipline and such wasn't nearly as good as I had thought that it was. Hmm. Uh, it never occurred to me, you know, having played chess and bridge and other games throughout my life, that you'd know the right thing to do at home and then show up and not do it, but. Uh, the emotional aspects of the game are, are very intense, but, but yeah, it was the mathematical components of it and uh, the, those parts of it that originally kind of piqued my interest, and you know, still continue to be uh, a big part of why I think I can play well. Do you uh, do you look for tells in other players? I do. Um, in addition to some of the stuff that's talked a lot about in the in the poker industry and in some of the books, um, I've gotten into studying deception detection from uh, people like the works of Paul Ekman, who's the technical advisor for the popular show Lie to Me, and uh, some other sources to try to you know, study micro-expressions and gestural emblems and some of the other things that I don't think most of my opponents are paying attention to. So 
um, that kind of thing is a big part of uh, of the effort for me. Can you get too clever by half in that you try to set up a pattern that you think some people will pick up on and then you try to deviate from that pattern when it comes from bluffing? Oh, enormously so. Okay. Um, another big pattern of mistake that uh, that I made for a long time was, uh, you know, I might be thinking, you know, a couple they, people, poker players talk about levels of um, uh, levels of thought, you know, the, the first level being, you know, what do I have? And second level is, what does he have? And third level is, what does he think I have? And fourth level is, what does he think that I think he has, et cetera. Um, and once you start getting good at that kind of thing, uh, you can really screw yourself up by, you know, making some really clever, devious play based on third or fourth level thinking when you're playing against somebody who said, oh, I got a pair of canes, you know. <laughs> and... <laughs> And you're like, well, yes, but you should have thought that I thought this and done that, but, you know, they didn't, and they have your money. You're sitting there feeling a little foolish about the whole situation. Well, now, uh, do you have another uh, puzzle for us? Is that I right? do. Um, okay. Poker recently gave me an idea for a puzzle that uh, a couple of us have been talking about around the site. Um, it's just kind of interesting that it came out of it. Um, the question was... Uh, what numbers, what, what integers, what positive integers can you uh, express as the sum of a sequence of uh, smaller integers? So, for instance, you can make 10 with 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4. You can make uh, 12 with, um, with uh, 3 plus 4 plus 5, or you know, maybe other combinations. Some things can be done in other ways. Um, I didn't mention this when we were talking about it uh, on the site, but uh, I, uh, the reason this came up is because when you're sitting there playing poker, uh, it's, you know, hours of boredom interspersed with moments of terror. And during those uh, long periods where you're not playing a hand, you know, one of the common things to do is play with the chips. So I started stacking up the chips and trying to stack them in sequences like this. So I'd stack two and three and four and five uh, in little stacks of chips. Uh, and realized that added up to something. I thought, well, can I can I add up to any number? And I pretty quickly realized and, uh, two doesn't work. For instance, you can't do that. Um, and uh, so, then, you know, being kind of a puzzle guy, I thought, okay, well, which numbers are there that you can and can't do? That's a question. And which numbers can you do and can't you do? And uh, as an extra bonus, if you can prove it, that's that's wonderful. It's very elegant if you have negative numbers. If you allow yourself to add up negative numbers uh, consecutively, too. Somehow it kind of works out a little bit nicer. Yeah. But Okay. Yeah, I didn't have any negative size uh, tip stack. Yeah, I didn't. They, they, don't, <laughs> they, they don't let you dig holes in the, in the field, at least where I play. You get kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so more about that next time with the chips, and, and, and Jeff will be back with uh, another quiz. Great.